welcome to Eyes for Ears, our ophthalmology no caps board of view podcast. I'm your host, Ben Young, and today we have a, another special mystery episode with uh, our guest host, Otana Jokpour, who's a current resident at University of Michigan. And she has a, uh, you know, a very interesting and uh, case that I hadn't seen before. Thanks for coming on, Otana. Thanks for having me. So I think just to give a little bit of background, what I think piqued both of our interest in this uh, specific case is that Otana presented to me initially and accused me of previously <laughs> live in a previous episode. I, so an she, accusation. She, I mean. she didn't say so. So Otana, I want to be clear. Otana is extremely courteous and kind, and everyone knows her as such. But buried underneath, <laughs> the, the, buried underneath her case presentation, she basically exposed me. She <laughs> accused me. She more exposed me as. Um, as, as lying in a previous episode. So I think this is extremely valuable for, um, you know, for residents, attendings, whoever to learn about. And uh, without further ado, Tana, can you take it away? Who was the patient you saw? Sounds good. So the patient is a 20-something-year-old man who was presenting with a few episodes of visual disturbance over the past few weeks. And all of them occurred kind of in a similar scenario he was lying in bed either at night or early in the morning. Um, one particularly characteristic episode, he had gotten ready for bed as usual, gone to bed, lay there for a while just scrolling on his phone, then reached over to set his phone down on the bedside table. And as he did that, realized there was something off with his vision. So he tried covering one eye, covering the other eye, and he realized that vision was normal in one eye, but in the other eye it was almost completely black, except for maybe a little bit of light from a lamp across the room. This got better after about three minutes, and then in between this and the next time it happened, vision was completely normal. Hmm. So when you saw this patient, what were their like ophthalmic vital signs? Everything normal. Visual acuity, pressure, pupils, there was no APD. I checked color plates, those were fine. Motility was full. Confrontation visual fields were normal. So basically, in summary, we have a pretty, uh, fairly young person who presented with true transient monocular vision loss. Is that right? That's correct. And Ben, I was so excited because I was prepared with an algorithmic seven-step approach for transient <laughs> monocular vision loss. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which brings us to... To this, uh, to this episode in a prior episode where um, Amanda Rudfern and I covered transient monocular vision loss. So before we move on to the rest of the exam, I'm going to kind of briefly review what those things were. And then we'll see which of these seven things, which I put like <laughs> the eyes for ears guarantee would be one of the things on the differential. So to, to remind the review, the, the listener, and I encourage you to go back to listen to that episode to hear about these in more depth. But I'm sure then Otana looked for ocular surface disease, did a gonioscopy to look for pigmentary or um, intermittent angle closure, looked for a mobile vitreous opacity, examined the retina carefully, though often it's going to be hard to find things that are on the differential for the retina, and then looked for disc elevation, things like drusen, papilledema, and then maybe asked more questions about the history to try to see if there were other things going on, like an UTAS phenomenon, or perhaps this was actually truly a transient binocular vision loss, say, in the left or right hemifield. Yeah, so I did do those things. <laughs> <laughs> I um, checked the surface, 
everything looked normal. There was no staining. There was no rapid tear breakup time. And he didn't have any dry eye types of symptoms. Um, he didn't have anything on exam or in the history to suggest either a pigmentary, like a pigment dispersion glaucoma, like he hadn't been doing any physical activity previously. There were, was no pigment anywhere, really. Mm. <laughs> there shouldn't be on the exam. Mm -hmm. um, and the angle looked okay. The vitreous was crystal clear, no mobile vitreous opacity. <clears throat> um, I forgot to look at the retina, so who knows? Yeah, no one looks at the retina anyways, yeah. I've learned. I mean, who, who needs it? No, <laughs> I looked at the retina. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you find? You found a big plaque. I found a really normal fundus. You found a talc in one of the retinal arteries. <laughs> no, cocaine abuse. The vessels looked great, but I appreciate you highlighting the importance of a really good history. Uh, but no, there was no cocaine. There is no in, cocaine in the history or talc in her, in his yeah, arteries. Running out of things that this could be, but keep going. Uh, looking at the optic nerve on exam, it looked okay. The uh, disc margins were crisp. There wasn't any edema. I even got out the B scan just in case there were some buried disc drusen that could be transiently causing problems. But Tana is a star fine. resident, by the way. Just, <laughs> <laughs> if it's not clear yet by the description. And as for some of the other things on the differential, like the TOPS phenomenon that you might get out more by history. Again, there was no like physical activity beforehand or anything that you'd expect to elevate body temperature to cause that. As for possible misdiagnosed transient binocular vision loss, the nice thing about this is the patient was a super good historian and had actually checked one eye against the other, so he knew it was not <laughs> binocular. Um, so I was left with nothing. You, I, <laughs> again, you see buried under her words. I have to <laughs> very comprehensive list. So, you know, and what I kind of, when Otana was first kind of telling me about this case, I was sure it was going to be something along the lines of intermittent angle closure because it happened and seemed to be happening in darkness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes you cannot have pain with that. Um, you know, maybe there was like a ciliary body mass or something pushing the lens forward and why one eye only. I was like convinced, <laughs> but it would be weird in a, you know, young man for that to happen. And in fact, on her excellent gonio, there was no such risk of there being intermittent angle closure. So based on the exam, we you've looked for a lot, but there's still a couple things that you can't explore on exam. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, even if it's not classic Utah's phenomenon, you you know, you can't look at a nerve and know that they don't have optic neuritis. Mm -hmm. The other key thing is you can't look at a retina and know that they don't have inflammation, you know, an uh, inflammatory ciliary artery issue or that they don't have like an atrial myxoma that's showering their eye with clots. So what did you do next? Yeah, that is very true. Um, there's only so much that an excellent exam in history can exactly. get. <laughs> Which fortunately leaves me the few outs. So that's still <laughs> going to be something, right? So um, this patient got some imaging and got some labs and got a neuro consult. He had an MRI and an MRV, um, which was normal. He had like a CBC, BMP, inflammatory markers checked. All the labs came back normal as well. Uh, he had an echo in case this was a transient monocular vision loss from embolic phenomenon, mm -hmm. like a TIA of the eye, one might say. And what did it show? Everything was normal. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he got sent home with a halter monitor. Uh-huh. And then that showed. Which was also fine. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, so pretty thoroughly ran through the seven things that I had claimed would cause transient monocular vision loss. And through this pretty dang thorough review, found nothing. So now, kind of ignoring that episode that I did, what, what, what did you come back to to try to figure out what was going on with this patient? Or are they unsolved to this day? So at this point, we sort of circled back to where we started, like back to the beginning, back to the initial history. What did he tell us in the first place? He told us he was lying down on one side, looking at his phone, and then had vision loss on the contralateral side. And as it turns out, although I did not know this at the time, there is a phenomenon that has been described basically of this that's being called transient smartphone blindness by some. Oh, that sounds scary. I use a smartphone. <laughs> some of the people who are listening to a podcast might use a smartphone. Maybe. Should we all be throwing these smartphones out? I think it's important to note that it's not actually like a phone causing blindness thing. It's like a physiologic phenomenon that can seem like monocular vision loss that is transitory and gets better and is just due to the way the eye normally works. So this is not a reason to throw out your smartphone, though there might be other reasons. Okay. <laughs> but you know, those reasons don't include deleting this podcast, I hope. What, um, or, or our prior episode. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the thoughts are about what drives this so-called smartphone blindness? Yeah, so say you have a person who's lying on their right side. Mm-hmm. They might be looking at their phone with their left eye. The pillow is kind of blocking the right eye. So as they're looking at the phone, the light eye looking at the bright phone screen is becoming light adapted. The right Mm -hmm. eye, the side they're lying on, kind of blocked by the pillow, is becoming dark adapted. And when I'm talking about adaptations, it kind of involves multiple mechanisms. But in particular, I'm thinking about the photopigment bleaching here. So when there's high light levels, the photopigment in the photoreceptors literally gets bleached out. There's less photopigment available to respond to like small changes in light. And so then when you go back into the dark, the photopigment is regenerated. You can kind of start over. And that's all fine. But then with transient smartphone blindness in this particular scenario, there's kind of differential bleaching of photopigment. So the photopigment in the left eye looking at the bright phone is getting bleached out. The photopigment in the left eye, looking at the bright phone, is getting bleached out. But in the right eye, it's not really doing that. And so then when you set the phone down, you look around at the dark room. The dark adapted eye is fine because it's been looking at the dark and it's used to picking that up. But the light adapted eye temporarily seems blind in comparison. And then it just takes some time for the photopigment to regenerate. And after a few minutes, you're back to normal. Has there been any, like, investigation to this, or is this all speculation? Yeah, so this has actually been replicated by some researchers, like the the authors of this (laughs) article just looked at a phone monocularly for 10 to 20 minutes, Uh and um, then they did an ERG, and there was actually a diminished B wave in the smartphone eye compared to the occluded eye, like, temporarily, because it it gets better. (laughs) Um, I wonder what the IRB looks like, you know, to, <laughs> to, to you look at your phone with one eye. <laughs> um, and then similarly, you know, they tested visual thresholds um, and found that initially after looking at the smartphone, there was low sensitivity in that eye. But then after 20 minutes, that eye was able to see a light stimulus that was literally 100 times dimmer. 
than they could at first. So oh, that's a, that's quite a quite a bit of a difference. Uh, one hundred times difference in, in light sensitivity. Yeah, I didn't get an IRB, but I did try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> you want, no one has to know this. Except, you know, the rest of the world in this and it, you you can notice that difference if you do this yourself at home. <laughs> I will admit, in my deep depression after finding out that my seven step algorithm was wrong, I tried this out too. Lying there at night, holding the load with only my phone. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it happens. It definitely happens. Try it yourself. <laughs> and to be clear, this is not a sign of disease, right? This, mm-hmm. in theory, should be able to happen to basically anyone's retina. Yeah. Including a young, healthy 20-year-old, like in your case, or in us, who are hopefully young, healthy people. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I will give you an out here, Ben, because I think this is similar to one of the things on your seven-step differential, which is photo stress. Um, mm-hmm. Because... You know, say someone with an unhealthy retina looks at something bright like fireworks, it takes them longer than the average person to, for their retina to become dark adapted again and see everything they need to see. And if that retinal pathology was asymmetric between eyes, I think that could be perceived as transient monocular vision loss. So that's like a similar phenomenon to this. It's just that it's the exposure that, to light that was differential. I will gladly take that out and say that <laughs> the algorithm is not wrong, but uh, but 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 absolutely. And you know, I think that you know that I, I think if anything, this case kind of reveals interesting things about uh, the photo stress phenomena. So you know, in this case, it took like three minutes for the vision to come back to normal, and I imagine kind of slowly, kind of faded back, sort of into to normal vision on the light exposed eye. Um, you know, so like one cause of prolonged photo stress test is a you know carotid occlusive disease. So mm-hmm. if it took a lot more than three minutes, if it took like 15 minutes for that vision to come back to normal, then that might actually be a sign and we would have expected something on their carotid imaging or, or, or you know, or whatnot. Um, another thing, by the way, just for, for people to keep in mind that can increase photo stress time is they are diseases of the outer retina that injure the photopigment. So AMD classically also prolongs your photo stress time. So, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, after actually we talked about this case, I had one patient who came in with a very similar complaint, but they were an older person um, who had, you know, intermediate macular degeneration and noted this, you know, it seemed like kind of with, you know, they weren't as big, heavy of a smartphone user as our uh, friendly millennial in, in the case you presented, but they were still experiencing this and it seemed to take them longer than three minutes for the vision to come back. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a sign that they have carotid occlusive disease, that we still tested them for it. It was just a sign that they had, you know, intermediate macular degeneration. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so is my takeaway from this case that if a patient comes in with transient monocular vision loss, but they have a smartphone, then we're done. It would make consults a little bit easier, but (laughs) I don't think that we can quite say that because I think it's really important to remember that not just any phone usage causes this. This is like a specific scenario where one eye is being exposed to the brightness of the smartphone and the other eye is being occluded in some way, which happens a lot when people are lying in bed and they don't necessarily notice it, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't happen in every scenario. So you really need to have a good history to feel confident about this. Yeah. And, you know, it's still a diagnosis of exclusion, right? Because you still need to, you know, I think it was very reasonable to still do all the things that you did in terms of workup to make sure that they didn't have, because, you know, it, I think it's easy to fall into the trap. Oh, this is a young, healthy person. Do I really need the echo? Like what, they, you know, they don't have congenital heart disease. What could it possibly be? But, you know, they're 
plenty of cases of people with atrial myxomas that like, you know, that they've had and they've never had symptoms until it started making clots just recently. And they could be an otherwise young, perfectly healthy person. So I'm glad you did all those other things because you don't want to be fooled just because they have an iPhone. Absolutely. <laughs> that really, you know, get something much more tragic down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, as another fun fact, have you heard the thing about pirate patches and its relationship to the voter stress test? I did hear about that. Do you want to, do you want to tell it? or I, yeah. So I, I had for a long time just assumed that pirate patches were due to eye injuries. But I've been... <laughs> but some were over sure, but you know... <laughs> I've since been told that uh, it's because they wanted to keep one eye light adapted to be able to see above deck and one eye dark adapted so that when they went down into the ship, they could just flip up the eye patch and quickly see everything without having to wait to adapt. Is that right? It's, yeah. You know, smartphones are the modern like pirate patches, basically, in terms of like, <laughs> light and dark adaptation. So, you know, history repeats itself. Thanks so, so much, Atana, for coming in. It's like, just so the listener knows, it's a beautiful Sunday uh, <laughs> early afternoon and Atana came in to work to record this episode. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Only to record this. So I hope everyone appreciates her time in sharing this extremely educational case and I hope it helps uh, some people out there solve mystery cases like this with their own patients. If you like what we heard, you can follow us on Twitter with eyes for ears at the number four. And if you want to support the podcast, leave a rating review on iTunes or we found our podcast. And if you like listening to Atana, you can follow her on Twitter at Afthotana. Uh, that was her Twitter handle. That's a brilliant Twitter handle. Uh, that was O-P-H-T-H-O-T-A-N-A. And <laughs> thanks everyone for your time. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.